This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and it's a pleasure to talk to Dr. Gabriel Krummacher from Züke. Hello, Gabriel. Hi, Robert. You have been already in our podcast, I think it's a year ago, and there you talked about machine learning models and medical products. And today we are talking about large language models. And of course, we need to talk a little bit about ChatGPT and GPT. But before we start, Gabriel, please introduce yourself to the listeners briefly in three sentences. Uh, yes, I'm very happy to be back. I'm the head of data science at Zuke. I work in machine learning. I have since more than 10 years, I'm working in machine learning and at Zuke we are doing data science projects for our clients. You were specialized on medical and pharmaceutical, was it right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of projects in that space, especially regulated uh, machine learning. First question is, have you been surprised by the speed at which GPT came and excited the people all around the world, I think? Yes. I mean, this was really impressive, even though, I mean, as you know, GPT and GPT-3 even is not so new. So that has existed since more than two years. And still the launch of ChatGPT and making it like a user-facing chat app, it was really surprising how fast this took off and how quickly it became mainstream. Because you mentioned it was already there, the idea, and everybody who was involved in AI and machine learning knew that there is a GPT and there will be a GPT-4. But I think for the whole public, it was a big surprise, right? Yes. And I mean, even for myself, already GPT-3, I wasn't expecting that you can train such large language models and then they can do all these kinds of things. I mean, we used very similar transformer style and before, you know, RNN sequence text models, but you would always train them for a specific task. But then having these large models that could do all these different things that already two years ago, this was, to me, this was, this was surprising. Do you think, is it a hype or is it really an added value? Because I don't want to have a bad feeling with hype because Gartner's hype cycle is very important. But is this large language model in the moment a hype or added value? What do you think? I think it's both. I'm super excited about, you know, all the use cases we can do, all the problems we can solve that we couldn't before it existed. But of course, it's also, I mean, it's such a big topic at the moment. And there's all these articles about how it's general intelligence and how no one will have a job anymore in two years. And so I think there's clearly also a hype and not all of these things that are now being said are true. But at the same time, I think it's, it's a really useful tool as well. You mentioned it's a really useful tool. Let's go into detail. Let's talk about use cases for industrial application. Where do you see them? So what we see also in talking to different companies, a really big use case, and I think that's true for many, many different kinds of companies, is that you can use it as a question answering tool about the internal knowledge of a company. And in a way, we see it, you know, finally fulfilling this hope or, or goal of organizing an organization's knowledge with knowledge bases and expert systems and all kinds of tools. And now you can just, you know, use this ChatGPT-like models on your own data. So I think this is very promising. So basically, the idea is that you can have ChatGPT access internal documents 
um, any kind of PDF, Word, HTML files, and then ask some questions about, I don't know, like uh, maybe there's some documentation for your products and you want to know something and then it can search through these documents and provide an answer given the information you, you have in your own document. That's really interesting what you mentioned because I think last episode Peter and myself talked about these plugins and GPT and I think that's a huge value if you add your database to JetGPT and if you combine both worlds, right? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, this is really opening up much broader customization because at the moment no one can fine-tune these models on their own data and it's also unclear if this is really the right approach for these kinds of models, but like having the possibility to extend it. Why is it not clear? Uh, because it's trained on such a huge data set and then just adding a few custom data points, it's not so obvious what will happen. I mean, will it then only use this or will it really depend on when you ask? And, and it's also stochastic, but it's easier to control if you say, here's my input, only look at this input, give your answer based on this, this text. I mean, a challenge is that the context, it's not unlimited. So there's not so much text. I mean, it's surprisingly a lot of tokens, but still, I mean, you can't put in your whole database in the context. So you have to do some tricks and it's still, so now somehow the engineering effort is finding the relevant documents and the relevant parts of documents to actually then give them to, to ChatGPT. Can you explain us a little bit the technical process, how to combine those worlds? Yeah, so essentially what you do is you index all your text data by split into fixed length text block, and then you compute embeddings. And I mean, OpenAI also has, you can use these models, these large language models also to compute text embeddings, which give you a nice vector representations of your text. And then you can use this. So now you, of all your documents and all your text, you have vector representations. You can then use this to compute distances. And then you find the most similar text blocks to your question. Take these text blocks, give them to ChatGPT in the context as input and say, here's some information. Here's my question. Can you answer that? question based on the information I gave you. And if not, say you cannot answer. Um, so that's essentially the idea. And then of course there's... So there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah. So there's still a lot of work to do to integrate this. I mean, this is also like, as you said, ChatGPT to OpenAI is starting to also have this available as plugins for end users directly um, to also integrate data. But I guess you don't want to use the front end of ChatGPT as a company because you don't want your data to be part of the training data. So you use the APIs and you then want to have a nice integration and an application around it. What kind of use cases do you also see? So we have this big topic of knowledge and maybe patent research and we can add something like service and customer service. What kind of more use cases do you see? I mean, w one other is actually writing text. So now we're kind of using it as a search tool, but then just writing reports. I mean, a lot of Companies have their own way of writing, you know, letters or reports or summaries. And then you could do the same trick of saying, here's three examples of how we write these. Can you, given my notes, can you write this report? I think that's also something that's very general and, and very useful in, in many companies. Financial reports or what do you mean? Standard reports? Yeah, I mean, maybe not necessarily financial reports maybe it's just other kinds of internal reporting and then what we also see and have al already started doing is 
so OpenAI also has this um, open source tool called Whisper that is very good at transcribing text. And so it basically opens up the world of voice. So you can also use it to record, transcribe, for instance, a dialogue, and then you can use ChatGPT to summarize it. I think any company that has a lot of customer interactions or client calls or support, this is also a very useful application. From my perspective, the most thing are still focused on the office side of companies, right? Yes, I agree. I mean, I guess wherever there's text or a lot of text, um, where you need to write something or find something based on tech. What do you think will be an impact on human-machine interfaces when people work together with machines? Do you think there will be an impact on this? That's a very good question. I agree. I mean, I think there will. At the moment, I guess I would be a bit worried if I would have like a direct interface to some machine and I control it with text. But on the other hand, I mean, people are starting to use it like They use Siri. I mean, they're building this personal assistance, which the tool is very much lends itself to. So I guess if we manage to better control the output, I mean, I, I mean, there's ideas of how you could do this. Do you can I explain the idea? Yeah, I mean, you could try to restrict the actions. You you don't want it to give it like uncontrolled access to the internet, for instance. But if you control a machine, you could say, um, "Here's my list of actions that." can be executed and then you can ask it to choose from these actions or things like this or i guess we will also have to invent new interfaces or just new ways of interacting with machines where you have some suggestions but you also need to be able to control and automate it i think this is going to be very interesting maybe you remember when the iphone was introduced nobody believed that this will impact the hmis and factories and when you now go into a factory modern human machine interface looks like an android or an apple hmi on your smartphone so i think there will be something that they need to adopt in the industrial sector because the consumers are doing this the whole day with their smartphone or then with a chat gpt or chat gpt i think they want to have it in the end oh i completely agree i mean you're absolutely right people will get used to controlling something through text or i guess voice and not on these classical user interfaces and they will become a more widespread way of, of doing human-computer interaction, yes. I was talking to some listeners a few days ago, and they told me they are simplifying their code with ChatGPT and GPT. Does that make sense from your point of view to simplify code? Yeah, I mean, Copilot is also a good example. Can you explain what is it, Copilot? So Copilot is using this Codex model of OpenAI, and it's also a language model, but it's trained on not on natural language, but on code. So it's trained on all of GitHub, which Microsoft conveniently also bought. Yeah, everything is Microsoft, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this was really smart. They have this LinkedIn, they have this OpenAI, they have this uh, GitHub. So it's a huge database, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is really valuable to them. And so basically, you can use it to generate code instead of text. And this is also, I don't know, like a year ago or so, people start using it. And it's also, in a way, it's similarly surprising how well it can program. So for smaller functions, you can just write the name of the function, the arguments, the comment, like write in natural language it's what it should do, and then it, it gives you the function. And I, I mean, I think ChatGPT can also do it. You can say, uh, can you write me a front end? And it, it, it does more than even just one function. This is very useful. So we've seen this also, how people use it for programming, and it really makes you more efficient. Um, it gives you, for, especially for simple tasks, sort of where there's a lot of boilerplate, things usually work the same 
it's very good at, at writing code for this. Do you already use that, uh, your colleagues? Yes, so we do. I mean, this has one problem that it's trained on GitHub and not all the code on GitHub is licensed for commercial use. And so there might be copyleft. That's important. Yeah. Yes. And so you need to be aware of this. So you don't want to let it write larger code because maybe that's code that was as a copyleft license. And so this is a bit tricky. And we work a lot with clients. And so, of course, we, we're not, we can't just use it. Like we, we will need to also talk to the client if, if that's a risk they want to take. It's similar to open source. So for open source, you also want to understand what are the licenses and things like this. So, so this makes it a bit more complicated. One more question is open AI is not open. And in my opinion, I think industrial companies will use in the future language models like Llama or Alpaca or whatever. Is it right or is my feeling totally wrong that they will build their own language models and build their own products with that? I would also expect this. I mean, at the moment, there's no open source large language model on a similar scale available. So Llama and Alpaca, they all have the problem that there's still like all the weights that the model itself is research only. So You can't use it for commercial purposes. And also the code of these, some of these models is not licensed in a permissive way. But I, I also expect that this will happen. I mean, we've seen it with Dolly, the image, the generative image models. It was like, what was it, like four months? And then Imad and his company, they had this open source stable diffusion model. It hasn't happened so far for the large language models. But what we've seen with Alpaca and Llama is that People manage to make them much smaller and then also fine-tune them to make this jet-like interface with these models and then run them on their MacBooks. So I would expect that at some point in the future, someone will open source it. I mean, maybe it's Google, maybe it's Facebook, maybe they will fall behind in competition with OpenAI and Microsoft. And then maybe for them, it's more valuable to have everyone give everyone free access to a large language model instead of having them all be customers of Microsoft and OpenAI. So who knows? And then, yes, I mean, that, that's going to be super exciting because then companies can fine-tune these smaller models, can run them on-site. What is then possible for industrial companies? I mean, the nice thing is that you don't have to send data to the cloud anymore. So you can have it much closer at the edge also of where your data is. And then again, could think of how we use these models a couple of years ago. So maybe then fine-tuning if the model is smaller. That's then maybe, again, something that people will do. Do you work on large language models at Atsuka? We do use them. So since always we've used the earlier versions of these transformer style models. And now we have quite a few projects where we use also use JetGPT. Um, so we've used GPT-3 already, but now we are, especially this use case of using internal documents for yourself, this, this is something that we do a lot. Now. But this is not magic, right? This is a lot of work to do, and then you have this model, right? It's not as complicated as you do a reinforcement learning for a shop floor. No, I mean, the machine learning is, is there's not a lot of machine learning anymore. Yes, there's, there's much more using it as a tool and then building applications around it. Are you a little bit frustrated by that? Because you are a data scientist and you want to do the fancy stuff, and now somebody comes around the corner and says, oh, I have this large language model. Now we can do uh, the knowledge management. Please, Gabriel, do it. Yes, I mean, not as frustrated as natural language processing researchers. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually not. So we can solve all these exciting use cases. So, uh, to me, I, I'm just more excited about what we can do with it than frustrated about not training my own text model. There's still so many other machine learning use cases where there's no general model that can just do it. So uh, I'm just excited about all the possibilities. 
that's really interesting, important at the end. We talk a lot yet now about language models, but we have a lot more of use cases in, in the industrial sector we cannot solve with large language models, right? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, we also see people that are like, oh, we have this chat GPT. Can we ask it how we need to set the parameters of our machine and things like this? And I'm like, no, um, but that's a very good use case. And we could use, you know, traditional machine learning to maybe solve this and to look at, you know, how do you need to, if you want to get a certain quality for your outputs of your machine, how you need to set the parameters, we can record all this data and then train a specific model for this. So I think there's still a lot of use cases, especially also in the industrial sector, where you cannot solve them with ChatGPT, but you can maybe solve them with data science and machine learning. Why do you think, that because uh, OpenAI announced that they now will invest in robotics and in humanoid or Android robotics, why they want to go this way now? Are they not satisfied with the software world or how they want to implement this large language model into real world use cases? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I guess robotics is still a very unsolved and open field. So I guess there's a lot you can still achieve there. So maybe that's a motivation. Do you think that large language models are the future? Or let's talk more in general, generative AI, because we had an episode with Festo about product development and generative AI. Do you think that industrial companies will, that we will see more generative AI use cases in the future? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, the models are still very new. And so I think there's still a lot to explore and, and people will use them in, in, in ways that maybe we don't think of at the moment. Do you have some ideas about generative AI? What could be done in the next two, one or two years? Is it possible that machines can build machines at the end? Ah, you mean like in not just as a digital, yeah, asset, not, so yeah. actually generating. Yeah. Well, I mean, huh, I guess you could think of hooking things up to a 3D printer and then printing things. There's also a lot of progress in not just generating text or 2D images, but also 3D images, either like directly rendered images or also like abstract intermediate representations of 3D images, like you could generate meshes of 3D objects. And I guess, why not? I mean, I, I haven't seen anything like this yet where you would also directly produce something but uh, i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't exclude it yesterday there was this open letter from gary marcos and many others are you personally a little bit afraid of the tempo about the speed about the use cases how this technology is used maybe for negative impacts we have this fake news debate are you a little bit afraid of this yeah i mean it's certainly not risk-free um, what's happening at the moment. I don't think this, like, you know, saying we will stop doing research, this is, to me, it sounds like this is not possible. It's not the way where we can just say we stop progress. But what's super important is that these models are used responsibly. I mean, they're tools. It's probably not a good idea to just hook them up to the internet and let them send emails. And, and also at the same time, I mean, this also goes into these ChatGPT plugins, which are super useful, but then people maybe shouldn't just give access to all their emails or all their data to this web application. I think that's also a risk. So people are now super excited and, and are just using it, maybe without thinking too much about also data security. So yeah, I mean, there's probably going to be some big cases of data leaking because people just plug these things in. And as you said, I mean, of course, they generate text very convincingly human sounding. Um, we will get emails, written pictures as well, exactly. I mean, I just read of someone who got a review of his research paper with references that he should include that were made up. So probably someone 
outsourced his reviewing duty um, to ChatGPT. So, and, and also in schools and universities, I mean, we have to rethink how we teach, how we can use these models. It used to be that you couldn't give, you know, a, a take-home task where you needed to do math because people could use MATLAB or, or a calculator, but you could do essays. And now you cannot do essays anymore. So people have to think of different ways how we how we teach these skills. At the beginning, we talked about your first podcast we did together, and this was in a in a field of high regulation. Do you think there will be now a push to regulate more AI because the policymakers recognize, oh, there's something coming. We are far behind now, and now we want to regulate it very strictly. What do you think? What is your feeling? You mean that there's some kind of backlash regulatory-wise? Yeah, who knows? I mean, the EU was already, I, I think it's still draft, but there was already since years this regulation on AI also outside of the medical sector. I guess this probably also got caught off guard a bit. So I don't know if this needs to be yet updated now. It's the AI Act, you mean, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Because you are based in Switzerland, we need to add this because you're not involved in this topic, right? Yes. Yeah. In December, it will be published, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But do you think that there will be more pressure on regulation now? Probably. I mean, already, I guess you can see this with this letter, people are start starting to be concerned. So I guess also policymakers will start thinking about how to deal with this. But they suggested, I think, a code of conduct or something that all companies should underline this code, that they use it only for, for good reason. But I think that's not too much. It's also very hard. I mean, it's really hard to regulate these things in a useful way. Also, I mean, the what I've seen of the AI Act, I think it has been changed quite a bit now since the first draft. It wasn't always formulated in a very useful way. And then since it's, it's law, it becomes very tricky. And then the risk is always that in the end, you just have a lot of companies write a lot of, you know, spend a lot of effort to satisfy these regulations and it doesn't really actively change a lot. So I guess the hard thing is to have regulation that all actively makes things safer and not have, have people spend a lot of effort on, on just like satisfying the text of the law but not actively changing something last question gabriel what is on your desktop today what do you have to do what are your tasks concerning ai in the next two or three weeks so i mean i'm still working on projects where we do machine learning so we have uh, classical machine learning we can call it <laughs> classical machine learning we're doing computer vision uh, you still do that yeah so we still do that um, it's not just text, but then as well, I mean, so I'm working on, actually I'm working on ChatGPT, like building an application that we can use internally ourselves on our data so we can have our employees ask questions about our documents and then maybe they don't need to send so many emails to ask questions that would actually already they could answer themselves if they would look at all our internal documentation. Um, so this is something I'm doing. And the next step is generating videos, yeah, right? That That's also announced, I think. And then we have this computer vision topic, right, once again. Absolutely, yes. I mean, th that's the, the next models. They're already, I mean, some of them already exist. And yeah, yeah, I mean, this... It's crazy how fast uh, how fast this goes now. Gabriel, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Next time we talk about computer vision and, and the next uh, big model on computer vision and videos. It was a pleasure. Greetings to Switzerland. Take care. Bye-bye. Absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Have a nice day. Bye, Robert. Mm -hmm.